Customer advocacy platform Mention Me recently hosted Advocacy Engineered, the world's leading event on the power of customer advocacy. More than 200 senior marketers from brands including Puma, Deliveroo, Charlotte Tilbury, Marks & Spencer, John Lewis, Farfetch and other big names joined us in London to hear from industry experts on how to drive sustainable business growth in the tough times ahead. This podcast series presents the live recordings of each of our speakers on the day. The one you're about to listen to comes from creator of the NPS, Fred Reichelt, on the importance of end growth. I am going to try and condense uh, 45 years of what I've learned um, into a 20 or 30 minute period. So you'll be seeing me talk as fast as I can. This, uh, this idea of Net Promoter, which has been around for 20 years, I'm very pleased with how it's spread across the world, but I'm very displeased with how poorly it's understood and how, I, how often I see it misused and, and really abused. So I'd like to go back and, and review the core principles behind Net Promoter, because at the core, it's not a metric, it's a philosophy of how you should treat people. And it comes from my observation of people I consider great leaders, people who have generated wonderful results for their teams, for their customers, for their investors. One of those who was very influential to me was Izzy Sharp, the uh, founder of the Four Seasons Hotel chain. Um, he explained to me, and, and you'll, you, I think you'll see if you go back in my books all the way to the beginning, Izzy was, was there before Net Promoter. And the question I asked him that got my attention was, how does your brand works so beautifully, whether you're in Africa or the Middle East or Asia or Cleveland, Ohio. And, and he said, Fred, the, the thing that transfers across all humanity is this one core principle of uh, love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, golden rule, and lots of religions have different ways of expressing it, but the notion of treat people the way you'd want to be treated. And I think the best interpretation is treat people the way you'd want a loved one treated. And he's, he's concluded that that is what works. I think what I hope you'll see, if nothing else, through this presentation is this is the core to, to not just a good life, but, but good business. This net promoter system that uh, I invented about 20 years ago is based on that simple idea. When you touch a life, you either enrich it, you diminish it. And those are lovely words, but until you have some kind of a science to measure and keep track of progress, it's all talk. And, and so Net Promoter was intended to help people understand when I touch a life as, a, as an individual, as a team, as a company, have I enriched a life, have I diminished it? Or in other words, have I lived up to this rule standard of behavior? Because if you love someone, your goal is not just to satisfy them, it's not just to not offend them, it's to enrich their life to make it better. It's a very high standard, but I think that's what inspires people. Uh, it's why Izzy Sharp at Four Seasons has seen this inspire people all over the world, because he's helping them strive towards something meaningful. Now, you, you know the math of this. Nines and tens are the people you've touched, feel like their life has been enriched, enriched. they are promoters for your brand. I almost called this net lives enriched and not net promoter score. I wish I had, it has a little bit better feel to it. And I think there'd be less confusion, but we call it net promoter. Promoters are your assets. You have touched their life. You've made it better. They are very likely to refer a friend, um, but that's not the only thing they do. They come back for more. They buy more. They expand the share of wallet. They treat your employees with dignity and respect. 
The assets, the, the liabilities are the detractors. When you see a detractor, it means that uh, they probably feel like they didn't get what they paid for. Their life has been diminished. You should feel horrible about that. But not just as a person, but as a business person, because they really cost you money. When you don't keep track of these things, um, as you'll see, they can uh, ruin your life. Net promoter, percentage of people you touch who you loved, people who you failed to love, simple idea. Why is it based on recommendation? I, well, the real reason is because we tested. I wanted one question. I don't like surveys. I don't fill out surveys. So I said, if there's going to be a survey, it's going to be one question with maybe one or two explanation questions following it. We tested every imaginable question we could come up with as the central question. Um, likely to repeat purchase. Um, how satisfied were you? The one that was the best predictor of future customer behaviors of loyalty, which would include buying more, uh, repeat, per, bigger basket, higher ticket, bigger price realization, more referrals, all of these behaviors. This was the one question that did the best of predicting the future. And I didn't understand why. I just took, I was, I was sort of a science math guy back in school. So I just looked at what model fit best. Since then, people have explained to me why recommendation is so special. It's because you don't, you don't recommend something unless it's logical that it's going to help that person. Remember, a recommendation is an act of love. It's not to make you better. It's to help the other person. You've experienced something, a brand, a person, a team who's made your life better, and you want to share that with that friend or family member. So referral is an act of love. And um, you wouldn't do that unless it was good value, good price, all these logical things left side of the brain. But over the years, I've also seen you don't do it unless it actually emotionally makes that person better off. It fits their values. These are people you want to expose your friends and family to. They will make problems. They'll fix them. And so it's the emotional, you know, the little tattoo. There's a story behind it. The guys at Harley Davidson that said in their annual report, they have the highest retention rate, the highest loyalty in their uh, industry. Actually, they said the world. And I challenged them. I said, what do they measure? He says, Fred, we don't we measure the percentage of uh, customers who have our brand tattooed on some body part. And I thought, is there a way to work that into net promo? <laughs> Failing that, I did take away the broad lesson. This is a very deep connection when you refer something enthusiastically. Um, you are co-branding your personal reputation. It is a very substantial risk when you tell someone, that's a great dentist, or that's a great doctor, or even that's a great uh, shoe store. So golden rule, net promoter, categorized in simple zero through 10. I mean, the, the mankind has been working with zero through 10 ratings since we were evolved into 10 fingered. And, uh, and it links, if you pay attention, to these behaviors that drive loyalty and therefore economic consequences. So it's a pretty cool system. It's a moral philosophy with a zero through 10. Everybody gets it, it's intuitive. How could the world screw it up so badly? And, and that's, that's what I was asking myself when I decided it was time to write this, this last book. Winning on Purpose is trying to get a very large movement. If you think we see Apple adopted this net promoter and, and it's open source. So rather than having Fred invent everything or having to pay Fred for every time you use net promoter, we made a strategic decision early on to try and make it open source so we'd have millions of people adapting it to their industry, coming up with innovation, sharing it. 
And, and generally it's worked because people like Apple have taken it. Their mission is to enrich the lives of their customers. And they, got, they have come up with wonderful, subtle, how do we, you know, we have team huddles every morning in the Apple stores. How do we talk about Net Promoter? How do we get it at the individual level? My son worked at an Apple store for 10 years. On his iPhone, he would get feedback from his customers the previous day. And he cared more about that than anything, including what his boss said, because that's how he decided whether he had done a job that he was trying, he was trying to enrich lives. That, that was such a powerful, and, and Apple, unlike the car dealers of the world, does not rank order everybody in the store based on their net promoter and embarrass the people on the bottom 20%. They have net promoter as an act. It's, it's, they want their customers, they want their employees to feel the love from their customers when they earn it. So they can celebrate it, recognize it, learn from it, and their whole focus is on enriching customer lives and how that inspires employees. Um, I asked the people, the person who had the highest net promoter score in the Boston store, that this will be in the book. Um, what's it feel like when you get a 10 from a customer? She said, well, I grew up in a Quaker school. This golden rule is a really important idea. Um, I wanna make the world a better place. So, so when I get a 10 from a customer, it feels like I'm living the right life. That is the right interpretation for everybody. Whether you're a frontline worker, a coding, or um, in the marketing department, tens, when they're truly earned, are to be celebrated because you have made the world a better place. I know there's all sorts of popular purposes around today and they're well-intentioned, but unless you make someone's life better, it's a lot of bunk. Lots of people have had success with Net Promoter. It is now spread to, Fortune Magazine says two-thirds of the world now uses it. This is the problem though because they don't use, most of the people have no idea that net promoter stems from the golden rule or that referral is an act of love. It's, you know, it's, it's just sort of a popular business wisdom. This, uh, this notion two thirds of companies use it. There's really no meaningful alternative. I, that's true and yet, do I consider my life a big success thus far? No because most of these people are, are using it so poorly. Um, and I'll show you some examples. Go, go online and book a resort that you wanna go visit and then watch what happens before you click buy. There's a resort fee added on of 10 or 20%. Is that golden rule behavior? No, it's manipulative baloney. Or gasoline, when you rent a car, They'll charge you 300% markups on the gasoline to refill your tank, or they'll make you play Russian roulette and try to run out of gas and you know, come in on, the, on fumes. What kind of, is that golden rule? And all these companies are using Net Promoter, supposedly. Closed account fees and financial services, who thought that one up? Um, change fees for airlines? <laughs> Andy's not gonna like to hear this, but I had to change my flight. Uh, some, one of my travel partners got COVID. So we redid everything. You know, the, the trip doubled in price because they could get away with it, not because their costs went up. I saw empty seats on the plane where I was sitting. So they weren't capacity constrained, but airlines have come to the point of view that you want to screw your customer for as much as you can get away with and not go to jail. And, and a lot of the marketing departments feel proud that they are getting the most out of customer wallets those companies are not generating real returns for their shareholders. But somehow, they think they're doing the right rational economic thing. The companies who are actually committed to giving the best possible value
value to a customer every time, like Amazon or like Costco, or we'll go through more examples, it's people who are committed to finding unique ways to deliver the maximum value, not pull, extract the maximum value. Those are the companies that attract good workers, and those are the companies that make the most money for their investors. Rating systems have gone to hell. I went in an Uber the other day, and this, I'll give you five if you give me five, and it finally struck me. Why is it that five-star systems, or zero to 10, when the person who is being asked to rate is, knows that that driver or that individual who served them is going to be penalized unless you give them a top score? Why would you do that? You know, in Uber, you get fired if you have a 4.7 or a 4.6 in most markets. That's ridiculous. That means that you have to get at least 80% five stars to keep your job. And the world has learned this. So we get, everyone gives five stars. It's a courtesy five star. Anything less than fives means you really screwed up or should go to jail. The guys who, and so what does it mean when you get a 10 or a five? It means you, nothing wrong, no, nothing terrible. And so we've lost the, the essence of Net Promoter, which is doing something so special. You've enriched a life so remarkably, so meaningful that you have to bring them, get your friends to have that same experience. And the same thing is going on in hotels. I, I, I could show any, every industry that's represented here has this going on. You know, if you didn't get a 10, that, 10s are passing grades. Please come to the front desk. We'll make it worth your while. So the whole thing is not about enriching someone's life. It's about getting a 10 so I can get my bonus. It's selfish. It's greed. It's, it's fear. It's horrible. And that is what Net Promoter has morphed into, except in the very best firms. So, and why did I write this last book? <clears throat> because people weren't understanding the, I started with the economics of loyalty in, I guess this was 96. And even back then, I sold almost no books through uh, retail stores compared to other channels that I, I couldn't figure it out until I asked some of these young book clerks. They said, oh, we see business loyalty. We put it in the fiction section. T today, <laughs> Today, they see business love, they put it in the humor section. And that what does loving customers have to do with creating wonderful jobs for your employees and, and in investments for your financial people? Well, <clears throat> think about how you define greatness. <clears throat> I'll bet you it has a, it's heavily influenced by who's doing great financially, seeing the world through accounting lenses, because we look at profits, we look at EBITDA. Jim Collins, brilliant guy, wrote a book that sold five million copies, has influenced how we think about great leadership. Look at the companies that he based his, uh, that were his exemplars, the people who he learned his lessons from, supposedly. These companies are horrible. Look at them. <laughs> no, there's two that went bankrupt. Several of those are, people are in jail. One of them is a company that sells cancer. How can this be great? Um, it's embarrassing, and yet we don't go back. And, and Jim's a smart guy. I think he got his ideas elsewhere. You know how your brain works? You see what you want to see. He just found what he wanted to see because these companies weren't great. The, the bigger question is, how could you even think they were great? Well, it's because you see the world through an accountant's lens. They measure stuff that you really get in trouble if you, uh, if you cheat. Let's look at... Uh, the companies who I used as exemplars 10 years ago in the ultimate question 
these are still companies that I'm very proud to be associated with. And how did I define greatness? I didn't look at one financial metric. I looked at how well their customers are feeling the love. Who had the highest net promoter scores, correctly measured, you know, scientifically measured. These are the people who, in each of their industries, delivered the best experience as measured by they were the most promoters and the people who were referring their friends. Let's look at the financial results for investors for these two companies. Um, over the 10 years after Good to Great was published, those investors in his exemplar companies earned only 0.4 times the median North American total shareholder return. That means they weren't even mediocre, they sucked. And, and that's great. And no wonder people are confused about whether business is making the world a better place or business is actually this greedy, horrible, extracting process that we should all be afraid of. On the other hand, the companies in the 10 years after the ultimate question 2.0 was written, the total shareholder return was five times the North American median. Think about that. Five times the stock market. There is no such, that's impossible, but it's not. Look at the facts. How could this, how can this go? We're seeing the world from two different views. We're seeing it through accountants' lenses and seeing it through the lenses of love. Andy Taylor, the guy who built Enterprise Rent-A-Car into the largest car rental company on earth, who did it as a private firm, never having to access the funny money of Wall Street. I asked him, and, and Hertz and Avis and these other giants, he went right past them in a low-growth, capital-intensive industry. And when I asked him, how'd you do it, Andy? This is a miracle. I've been a strategy consultant at Bain for enough years that I know this is, this is completely inconsistent with what I learned at business school. He says, Fred, there is only one way to grow a, a strong, sustainable business. You treat your customers so they come back for more and bring their friends. And I heard this, and some of you know, Andy Taylor had a feedback system, which was the forefather of Net Promoter. He had a two-question survey that he sent out to a big enough sample of every branch in the world so he could see how many of his customers were feeling the love and built management processes to take the right action to, uh, to recognize and reward the people who did a good job of it. But I didn't hear him well enough. Think of, because keep this in the back of your mind. Just like Darwin with, I mean, talk about brilliant and impacting the way we think about the world. But it's, it's the people who are most adaptable. Um, Andy is saying success in business means treating people so they come back for more and bring their friends. We don't measure that today in business, most businesses. And uh, bring their friends is referrals, of course. Mention me, it, the reason I'm here is I thought, you know, we have to get control of these forces that are driving success and failure in business. And referrals is a big part of it. I also, uh, one of the legacies of Bain is we, we tend to put our money where our mouth is. You know, if you got an idea, let's see how, how good it is. Um, that's the performance of my personal stock portfolio over the last decade, because I did invest my money in all of the uh, net promoter leaders, or almost all of them, as you'll see in the book. I more than tripled the stock market. Uh, the VTI is the Vanguard Total Index Fund, which is probably, I think it's the largest of the uh, uh, pure index funds. So you think of that as a stock market return. Unless you beat that, by the way, you're not doing your investors a favor as an individual company because they'd be better off diversifying into a mutual fund and not taking any specific company risk. So only those who beat the, the market 
are creating value. In my case, my little portfolio, which I happen to keep in my Vanguard brokerage account, tripled the market over 10 years. No mutual fund or ETF in the world that we're aware of beat that. That's pretty astonishing. So if you were good skeptical people, you'd say, I don't believe that. Except that Andy Taylor idea. If maybe Fred has a way of finding companies who have this magic flywheel spinning, of treating customers so they come back for more and bring their friends, and that that is actually what's driving true cash flow and growth and uh, prosperity for both investors and employees. And that is what's going on. It, that the forces that are driving inspired teams who care about loving their customers and enriching their lives make customers happy. They tell other customers. They give feedback. Um, they're the ones who respond to net promoter surveys. That inspires teams to do even better. And what you see is there's a set of economics underlying prosperous growth that aren't measured by accountants. And yet they're the true drivers of prosperity and goodness in business. And what I'm trying to do with Winning on Purpose is make it clearer to the world what good businesses really do. They don't grow through brilliant marketing, sad to say. They grow because their customers grow them for them. Team's job is to make customers' lives better. And maybe the job of a marketing department is help customers talk to each other and get the truth spread more quickly and understand when it's not, when they're not feeling the love, what needs to change in your business. It's actually a very strategic position. So you'll, I'm a fan of marketing. That was, that's my favorite subject. The world doesn't understand this. And why? Because the mindset is so strong. I, I, what I see is most businesses have a financial capitalist mindset. That's all we measure. That's the electromagnetic spectrum that we're coming back. You know, our scans of the human body are based on financials. And that leads toward purpose being profits. I mean, think about it. That is what you're solving for. And if you let your artificial intelligence solve for it, you'll just screw customers as more and more and abuse them. Standard financials are not the right metric for progress. Um, compliance, you know, what, marketing, how do you grow? Well, you, you follow the laws, but tricks and traps are fine. Caveat emptor is the rule of the day. But then look at these customer, the, the, the Izzy Sharps of the world, the Andy Taylors of the world. Their purpose is making customers' lives better. The way they measure progress is with things like net promoter and share of wallet, um, referral rates. Their culture is based on golden rule and uh, their growth engine. I mean, what do you do if you need to grow more? You got to meet the quarterly target. You hire more salespeople. You get better sales incentives. You advertising campaigns, promotional discounts, right? That's the wrong way to grow. That's the right way to destroy your profitability. The right way to grow is to make more of your customers so pleased that they go out and bring their friends. And when you have, that's a, just a different mindset. And when the knee jerk that you're growing, you're not growing as fast as you need to, then you better figure out how you can do a better job to turn your customers into promoters. Primary duty of leadership, one thing, there's a lot of confusion, oh, are my employees more important than my customers? Um, that's the wrong way to look at it. The leader's primary job is to take care of their people and inspire them to love customers. And it's that chain of events, the only way that great companies are built. I'm gonna show you a couple of companies. This sounds so airy-fairy, right? Except, man, Fred made tens of millions of dollars investing on this strategy. It seems to be getting a lot of, a, 
Let's show you some of these companies that see Fred, Fred's world. One is T-Mobile. Um, they were the worst in the industry. This lady on the left, who is now their chief customer officer, she was one of you probably, right? Sitting in a room like this. She said, we were horrible. We had the worst technology. We had the worst retention rate, worst everything. Customer satisfaction was the worst. Um, we had no alternative but to love our customers better than anyone else. And so they figured out there was no magic elixir. They had to make their customers love them. So they went out and talked to their customers, their frontline teams. They figured out what's making customers unhappy, what's embarrassing our teams, what policies are humiliating because people know they're not golden rule standard. And they changed them. They got rid of roaming fees. They got rid of these crazy contracts that lock you in. They started building a business as if the customer, lo loving customers was at the core. And they use love, which is, you know, I, love didn't come easy for me. It just doesn't feel right for a business person. But the great companies, they use it regularly, this notion of love thy neighbor as thyself. And, um, and so think about, and NPS was a part of their success formula. They took the worst NPS in the industry at the beginning of the period to the highest in the industry, which I guess isn't shocking given all those amazingly positive things they did listening to customers and responding to them. But what people don't appreciate is they have the highest total shareholder return to investors in the industry over that same period. This dotted line is the Vanguard Total Index, the, the stock market return. So in this industry, the only company that delivered true value to investors was the win with the highest net promoter score. But of course, if you believe what Andy Taylor said, the only way to grow a business is to treat customers so they come back for more and bring their friends, it's obvious. But if you see the world through accounting and quarterly earnings, you do things like Sprint and Cellular. Look at who's number two in total shareholder returns is Verizon, number three is AT&T. Now, um, I'm gonna go to another industry, credit cards. I always thought American Express was the best, and they were, until I went to write this last book. Bain has started a data business called NPS Prism. So we get really rigorous NPS, science, double blind. And the guy that runs that business, Jason Barrow said, Fred, the highest NPS is now Discover. And I thought, oh, I gotta go meet the CEO and find out what's going on. And I, it turned out to be a guy that used to work on one of my teams years ago, David Nelms. And it, David said, Fred, this, it's just what you've always been saying. We love our customers and, and our advertising is, we treat you like you'd treat you. They have advertisements where People who look the same, one is the customer service rep, the other is the customer, and they're, it's sort of funny, but it's, it's tr treating people the way they'd wanna be treated. And then the list of things they've done, they got rid of all of the breakage fees, they got rid of annual fees, all the things that customers love, and they don't charge a late fee unless they email you in advance warning you a day before so it's not just something you overlook. The CFO said, that's gonna be $300 million off the bottom line. But David was smart enough to see that no, it's millions of phone calls and millions of people who think about our brand and get irritated with it. And sure enough, they had the, total, the highest total shareholder return in the industry. And if you're, if you're a statistics kind of person, that's a regression line that looks at NPS on the bottom axis and total shareholder return on the vertical. And this, this, is, this sort of shocked me. 
most of the difference in total shareholder return over the decade is explained by this one thing. Who had the best NPS, second best, third best? And I see, I won't bore you, but industry after industry, just look in chapter five. This is how the world works in most all industries. And it is completely invisible to people who see the world through an accountant's lens. Tesla, everyone knows is a great success. They, their customers love them. And once again, in the auto industry, the highest NPS score delivers the highest total shareholder return. But wait, it's not just Tesla. Let's say that's an outlier. The second best NPS gets the second highest total shareholder return. So Andy's back for more and bring their friends is working in the auto business as well. Um, it's working in Warby Parker and selling glasses online. Uh, these, uh, you'll, I'll talk in a little bit about something called earned growth. The fellows at Warby, two of them were from Bain & Company, so they were willing to do a little bit of experimentation with us. And we measured what percentage of their new customers coming in the door were based, primarily coming as a result of referral. Just based, we, had, we surveyed them. 90% of their new customers said referral was the primary reason they were giving them a try. Think about what the cash flow implications are for this business. This is another, if they keep it up, it's another Tesla. So this is a fellow I sat on the board. I was on the Rackspace board for almost 10 years before they went private. And Graham Weston, the founder, said, why is this so hard, Fred? When I hear you explain this, it's just so simple. My kids can understand it. And I think hard about this, because it is hard, and it's not happening. And most of the people using Net Promoter are screwing it up horribly. I think it's because, I think it's because people have a misconception of the purpose of their business. If you think the purpose of the business is to enrich customers' lives, to help, to love them and, and make their, enrich their lives, it, we found that only 10% of business leaders in the world believe that's the primary purpose of their company. That's a problem for 90% of you, I'm guessing because your senior teams have a conception of primary purpose of why that company exists. It's either to maximize shareholder value, maybe it's to you know, be a great place to work. This is probably because it's been so hard to hire over the last year or two. Most people have this, oh, it's all, all of our stakeholders are important. No, it's not right. There is only one winning purpose for a business, and that is to enrich the lives of your customers. If you're not doing that, you can't create great jobs for employees and you're not gonna deliver great results for your investors. And that's the confusion I hope we can uh, resolve. One of the ways to do it is to stop using NPS as a KPI that you hold people accountable for and ding their bonus if they don't stack up because that leads to begging and, and destroying the credibility. Uh, the answer to this and this one, one more slide and we can uh, get to some questions. I saw a bank, because I'm looking for, how do I have an accountability score that's real? It's not a survey, it's not manipulative. You can send people, you can fire them if they cheat. First Republic is a bank in the US. Um, 32 billion market cap, it's not huge, but it's an S&P 500 company, it was a venture capital startup, it's only $15 million to get it going. So up to 30 billion, that's pretty impressive. The guys, uh, when I, gave a talk like this to their executive team. They said, well, this is what we do, Fred, but we measure the percentage of our growth that comes from our existing customers coming back for more and bringing their friends. I'm thinking, oh my God, Andy Taylor, 
and they're actually measuring it. And this is doing so much better than the survey process, which is a way to learn, but this tells you what really happened. It's accounting, because they would look at the growth, growth and balances from their existing customer base, and then the referrals that those customers gave. And that I call earned growth. And I think earned growth is a statistic that all of you should be holding you yourselves accountable to and figuring out how to measure, because most of you have no idea what your, your, you know, there's net revenue retention, that's how much your existing book is growing each year. SaaS companies measure this, uh, but most companies don't. And then what percent is, of growth is coming from referrals from your existing customers? That I think, those are the two most important statistics in business that are measured sloppily by most businesses. It is net promoter and earned growth together that I think can change the world. Thanks for listening to this Advocacy Engineered presentation. To find out more about Mention Me and how our advocacy-first approach could drive growth for your business, visit mention-me.com.